everybody wants to find their seats if you can. I always hate interrupting conversations. I feel so tall right now. <laughs> I haven't been up on a high stage in a while. I always uh, get down on the floor when I'm at the other campus, so I feel like I'm towering above you, but I'm glad you can see me. I'm okay with it. You can see me. Um, as If you don't know, she already mentioned it, Pastor Crystal said, but I am Shannon, and I'm actually one of our um, Uinta is my was where I'm mostly at the Uinta campus. One of our pastors there. I pastor um, our wellness center, and then of course here you have the amazing Suzanne who does that, who just left, but you know who she is. <laughs> um, and so I just want to add tag on. I wasn't asked to, but I just want to tag on with what Crystal shared about Pastor Rob. It's so amazing to be in a church that will do this for our pastors. It is not common that a church family will tell a pastor, go go be healed, go be made well. And as someone who, this is my thing, wellness and healing, and it's so, so powerful. So we absolutely want to be supportive of that. We want to pray for him. We want to encourage it because how many of you know that when you get help, you're a better everything, right? <laughs> better husband, better wife, better friend. So um, yeah, I'm just super thankful to be in a church family that, um, is supportive of that. We don't just say it, we actually put feet to it and we do it. So, um, and I'm also thankful for people. <laughs> so I, we are, our home is somewhat new. We moved to um, South Weber in May. We were in a little town home for three years, which was amazing, but I love to host. And this year I got to, my house was bursting at the seams and I hadn't done that since we moved here. And I didn't realize until this year, until doing it, how beautiful it was going to be for me to get to look around and go, oh, I've made this home. These people are my family. Um, so I'm also thankful, Pastor Crystal, for people. <laughs> I'm thankful for our community. Um, and I'm excited to share with you. So as you can see, we're still in the series, Something Stinks. And if this is your first time to hear it, what we're talking about, we've been talking about for a few weeks, is our attitudes. We've been talking about our thoughts and our attitudes and how our thoughts and our attitudes either produce an aroma or an odor. Okay, so last week we talked about a, self, a self-defeating attitude. We talked about how actually that's an odor. And sometimes it looks like humility, but it's actually false humility because it's, it's not understanding who you are in Christ. And that doesn't produce an aroma because the world needs to know that we are daughters and sons. And so this week um, I want to talk to us about the attitude that can be considered self-serving. And I know when I say that, we probably all go, oh, yeah. (laughs) We all know we have a tendency or an ability. It's easy, right, to serve ourselves, to think of ourselves first. That's just part of being human. And if we're being honest, all of these different attitudes we've been talking about, you're not going to conquer these things without the Holy Spirit. It is not in you to do it by yourself. You can give it a good go, but you're going to find yourself needing that help that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so... We want to ultimately let the Holy Spirit work in us to turn our odors into aromas. How many of you want to definitely not walk into a room and be an odor? Yeah. B.O. is not a good thing, okay? (laughs) And so we want to work with the Holy Spirit and, and submit to him and let him turn our attitudes into good attitudes, turn our thoughts into good thoughts. Um, so I'm going to talk to you about the self serving attitude today. And I'll be honest, my 
initial inclination, my initial thought when I think about this is I want to believe that I don't struggle with this one. I am very holy and I'm very humble and I am very others focused. But (laughs) the Holy Spirit comes along with a little nudge and goes, "Mm, not all the time. Is that really true? And so I have to be honest, which is where we have to start. I have to say, yeah, sometimes I think this way. Sometimes I'm thinking about me and what I want more than I'm thinking about others. And I want to share, actually, as I was thinking about this one, I was like, well, Lord, how has this one played out in my life? Because we all have patterns and habits and ways that we've done things. And most of the time, it's based on what we, you know, how we grew up and the things we were taught. And so for those of you that don't know my story, I um, grew up in a military family. I was, all, I was actually abused in that growing up years. I suffered some abuse. And so I had some trauma, a lot of trauma, actually, that the Lord has been faithful to heal and work with me on over the past 15 years. But trauma produces patterns and habits. And as I was thinking about this, I was remembering the girl who, before she was healed, the, the, me before Jesus came and showed me who he was as a healer. And I'd been in church my whole life, so I want to add that too. It wasn't like I was living out the world and then showed up at church. I have been, I was practically born at church. So the church has been my whole life. And yet, I had all this trauma and dysfunction and pain behind closed doors. And so, because of what I suffered, I was left you know, transitioning into that adult life, I was left feeling like, well, there's something wrong with me. Like, I'm not lovable because if I were lovable, this wouldn't have happened. And that's a normal thought to have when you've suffered and the Lord brings healing to that. But because I carried that thought, it it created in me this need to be approved of by everybody around me. I needed everyone to give me applause. I needed praise. I needed the high five. And because I had been, been in church my whole life, that was my whole world. Because when you, when you um, grow up in the military, you're always moving. And so I wasn't, it was easier to just jump in at church than it was to jump in at school or jump in at anything else. And so church was my world. And so that was the place that I wanted approval. That was the place that I wanted praise I wanted man to give me the thumbs up. And as the Lord began to heal my heart years ago, he, sh- he revealed this pattern to me. He's, he revealed, Shannon, you, you, because you didn't understand who you are in me, you didn't understand your identity, you've created a system of seeking man's approval, of seeking man's praise. How many of you know that you can discover a pattern or a habit, but it's hard to break it? (laughs) It takes a lot of discipline and and commitment to break it. And so that has been, I I now recognize that that is the shadow that I have to always be laying down before the Lord and going, Lord, I don't want to do that. Because here's what I've discovered. Me doing that, me thinking that way, me doing good works, doing the things of the, of, you know, God, even what you would consider good, wonderful things, doing them so that I will be known and noticed is me building my own kingdom. It doesn't sound like it at first because you're like, well, you were, it was because you had trauma. And yeah, that's true, but it still created in me a pattern that I needed to build something beautiful so that I would be considered worthy. I've had to learn to walk in awareness 
of this little voice that's out here now. It's not in me. It's out here. And it says, make sure they see you. Make sure they notice you. Make sure they approve of you. I've had to really become aware of that because I know now that as soon as I start thinking that way, I'm, I'm going to start looking to build something that I want everyone to look at and say is beautiful. Now, ironically, in this journey of healing over these 15 years, God called me to be a writer, and I write books, and you can't write books and not receive praise and criticism. <laughs> and so in the beginning, I remember being like, well, this doesn't make sense. If I have this struggle, why would you want me to write books? And the Lord has shown me that it's, a, it's one of the ways he brings um, he refines my heart is that, yes, I write a book. Yes, I share this with the world. And then I have to be okay with whatever the response is and know that I did what the Lord told me and it doesn't, it doesn't matter what someone says in response. So it's actually become a tool in his hand to refine my heart. But it's not easy, friends. It's really not easy. It doesn't, I don't know that it gets, it, it gets easier because I become more aware of it, but it's still a challenge because that's so tempting it's so tempting to hear the applause of the people around us, to be celebrated for doing something and getting a thumbs up. It's tempting to want to walk in that place. Ultimately, I was, I was building my own kingdom for a long time because my motivation was not just I love Jesus and I want to serve his kingdom. My motivation was I need people to notice me and I need people to approve of me. I did love Jesus, because like I said, I grew up in church. I loved Jesus. I loved him the best way that I knew how. And at the time, in my brokenness, the way that I thought to love Jesus was to build my own beautiful, shiny thing that he would look at and go, wow, you're so great. <laughs> it was in discovering how deep and unconditional his love is that I realized that I didn't have to do that anymore. Realizing that he loved me when I was alone in my room, crying out with no help, didn't know how to be rescued. He loved me as much in that place as he does today. And that has brought the freedom and continuing to remind myself of that and live in that place is how I keep my heart in line with building not my kingdom, but serving and seeking his kingdom. Now, as I said, none of us thinks we're self-serving, right? We all kind of think that's everybody else. <laughs> that's kind of how it is to be human. But maybe when you hear my story, maybe you think about your own story. And maybe you think about the times and the ways that you see through a lens of fear and rejection. Because ultimately, that's what this is. When we are so afraid that we're not good enough, we're not worthy, the only, the only option is to build something that we feel like will make us look good. And so it ultimately, it's, it's a fear. It's a fear that we're living out of when we live that way. And I think a lot of us, I think it's natural, it's human to do that. And then when you have pain and you have unresolved hurt that you're carrying around, it's very easy to live in that place. And like I said... <laughs> All of this can't be healed and undone and changed without the power of the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't be here telling you my story. I wouldn't be here sharing had I not surrendered over and over, not just one time, over and over, and let the Holy Spirit do his work in my heart. You know what's interesting? 
When Adam and Eve, y'all know who that is, right? We're all here because of them. (laughs) When they ate from the tree that they were not supposed to, it was because the serpent said something. He doesn't want you to know what's really available to you. Ultimately, what he was saying is, if you eat this, you'll actually be like God. And he doesn't want you to eat this because he doesn't want you to be like him. Now, ironically, man was already made like God because he said, let us make man in our image, right? So ironically, we already had that, but the enemy came to stain it. He wanted to put a stain on the image because he hated that we were image bearers. But Adam and Eve ultimately gave in to the deception and the fear that God was holding out on them. They gave in to the fear that God isn't who he says he is, so I need to do something about it. That lie, God isn't who he says he is. If we believe that, how in the world are we gonna build anything or serve in his kingdom and not shy away and instead serve our own purposes? That lie creates a resistance in us. We don't want to seek a kingdom of someone who isn't being honest about who he is, right? Isn't it fascinating that today, thousands of years later, same lie, same piece of fruit. We we don't evolve. (laughs) It's the same thing. Man, when Jesus came, Everything he said turned everything upside down. He was a rebel. His purpose was twofold. He came, obviously, to redeem us through the cross and resurrection. But up until the cross, his ministry was painting the picture of what God's kingdom actually looks like. Because nobody really knew. By the time he shows up on the scene, they're like, it's power and it's conquering your enemies and it's being on the top. And he came to set the record straight and say, actually... That's not my father's kingdom. He said things like Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What things? Everything you need. Jesus was bold enough to say this to a crowd of poor people who didn't have anything. They didn't have much. And yet he says, You need to not worry about that. You need to seek my Father's kingdom and I'll provide. Seek him and he will meet your needs. That takes faith, doesn't it? (laughs) Because sometimes we are like, I I need this bill paid. I need food in my fridge. I need this. And the Lord says, seek my Father and his ways and he's going to take care of you. The Sermon on the Mount is probably his most famous sermon ever found in Matthew. I'm not going to read it because it's pretty long. But in that sermon, he said things like, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Every single thing, what he was doing in that sermon is he was painting the picture of his father's kingdom. And every single thing he said was the complete opposite of what our human nature craves. We don't want mercy. We want justice. Actually, we want revenge. (laughs) We don't want to be peacemakers. We want to have it. We want people to see our way and do it our way. And we're right and they're wrong. 
We don't want to be walking meekness and humility. We want to be powerful and influential. So Jesus really turned everything upside down. And as we all know, we're not very good at following the ways of Jesus, not on our own. We can't do that. That list of things he laid out in that sermon, I imagine that people walked away going, who could do it? Who could do that? Who's, who's capable of living that way? Throughout history of God's people, the pattern is definitely repeated. Of They trust God. They declare he's good. They want to follow him. Yes, we'll worship you. And then over time, walking away, choosing sin, choosing other gods, and then God and his faithfulness having to rescue them out of their own choices. This is the pattern of humanity. And I want to look today at a guy. We don't talk about him a lot at church, actually, and so I'm kind of excited to talk about somebody that isn't typically discussed. Um, It's a guy named Solomon. You guys heard of him? Okay, he was king. He was the son of David. He was the king commissioned by God to build the temple. He is known as the wisest man to ever live. Would you like that title? I would like that title. Wisest woman to ever live. That was Solomon, the wisest man. He wrote Song of Solomon, which we don't read often because we're like, I don't know what to do with that book. (laughs) It's a little racy, but if you read it through the eyes of the bridegroom Jesus and his bride, the church, actually it is a beautiful picture of the depth of God's love for us. So what we know is that Solomon did catch it. He caught it. He saw it. He understood the depths of love. He did get it. God fulfilled his promise to David by blessing Solomon immensely. And when I say blessed, I don't think anyone in this room can fathom the blessings of Solomon's life. There's not really ever been anyone as blessed as Solomon. I mean, daily tons of gold showing up at his door. Everything he could possibly even imagine he had. Unfortunately, things didn't end so well for Solomon, and I want to read a little bit about that in 1 Kings, if you want to turn there, or it'll be on the screen. We're going to be in 1 Kings 11, and I'm going to just start with verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites, all the ites. Now, I want to stop. Because it says, however, and that's an important word. King Solomon, however. So before this chapter, if you go back to um, the chapter chapter 10 right before this, is where you see the, the list of just all that Solomon had. It's like he had it all. And then we get to this and the writer goes, however. So the however is important. Because he had position, he had wealth, he had wisdom, he had a kingdom. He led a kingdom. He lacked for nothing. And yet his heart didn't stay true. Let's keep reading verse um, 2. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, another important word, nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Now, to be clear, 
The love mentioned here is not the kind of love that God imagined and dreamed up and created for marriage. Okay? Not just one man, not just one man and one woman, but he also gave clear instructions to Israel, don't marry foreign women because they have foreign gods. And we see pattern after pattern of them not listening, and then sure enough, those gods become the gods of Israel, and that's part of what's happening here. The love that, is, that Solomon has is not, it's a lustful kind of love. It's not God's love. Hello, you can't love 700 women. Come on. It's hard enough to love one spouse, right? <laughs> There's no such thing as having a pure, honest love for 700 women. Come on, Solomon. Where's the wisdom? There's not any at this point. And so here's what this shows us already. We're going to keep reading, but I want, to, I want to point this out right here. The moment that we leave God, we break God's covenant. The moment we break God's covenant is the moment we begin building our own kingdom. The moment we break God's covenant. What's a covenant? It's a promise. It's a, it's a, if you follow this, I will provide this for you. That's a covenant. And the moment we say to God, uh, I don't like your covenant, that's the moment we start building our own kingdom because it's the only alternative. Let's keep reading. <sighs> Solomon, oh Solomon. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, this man. And Shockingly, his wives led him astray. <laughs> Are we surprised? <laughs> As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, which is what God told him would happen. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidon, Sidonians, and Melech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Melech was the god that they had to actually give their live babies to. It was horrible, horrible, horrible evil. So Solomon, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. See, the moment Solomon married his first foreign wife, that's the moment he broke covenant with God. It wasn't, okay, now that you have 700 wives, it was the first moment, the first, the decision, which was actually made in his heart. That's when he broke covenant with God. See, there's always a choice. There's always a choice. And the story of Scripture proves over and over that we are the unfaithful ones, not him. God is faithful. He continually comes back to us, seeks us out, takes us back. But the story of Scripture shows us that we really want to build our own kingdom. We want to be great in our own eyes. We want power. We want prestige. That's the story of humanity from the garden. Verse 7. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Shemoth, the detestable god of Moab, and for Melech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. Now, I want to stop here because there's something really important in this verse that we need to grab hold of. High place. See that, those two words there? In Scripture, you'll see a theme of high places. That, that phrase is used a lot. And it's important because the high place, anytime you see it mentioned in Scripture, the high place is referring to a place of worship. 
the high place, because the, the people would always build their altars at a place where they could see it from the valley. They could see it from their home. So it was always the high place. I had the privilege of going to Israel this year in March. And so I got to see the landscape. And it's very hilly. Like it's not, there's no flat places in Israel. I mean, I think if you go a little further north, you might hit some flat desert. But it's a very hilly terrain. And after seeing that, everything kind of came into perspective for me about the scriptures that talk about ascending to the place with God and the high place. Because I'm like, oh, it's because everywhere they looked was a hill. (laughs) So he was speaking in a language that they would understand. See, high places are the places that we want to get to in our life. And we all have a high place, friends. We all have a high place in our heart. And whatever that place, whatever's on that high place, that's what we worship. We all have an altar at that high place. We're bowing our knee. That's what these people, that's what the wives of Solomon, they built these altars and they had to go up to the hill and bow down and worship these false gods. And here's the thing to know. If the high place in your life, if you're bowing your knee to anything except Jesus, you're building your own kingdom. If you are, even if it seems like a roundabout, not really building my own kingdom, it's still you building your own kingdom because it's the only alternative. See, my high place for many years was man's opinion. And so I bowed my knee at that altar, needing approval, needing to be known and noticed. And so I was building my own kingdom. I'm happy to say that Jesus has come and torn down that high place and put himself there. And now I can bow my knee in front of him and he reminds me of my identity. He reminds me that I don't need the praise of man. He reminds me that whether it's praise, criticism, it doesn't matter whether I've got built something great or never built anything again, none of that matters because I'm his. And so my heart now longs to serve in his kingdom. I long to be part of what he's building. See, the question is, what altar is on your high place? That's the heart of the matter. We can talk about changing our thoughts, and we need to do that, but our thoughts aren't going to change if the place we're bowing our knee is a place of self-service. We have to recognize what the altar is in our heart and what, we're, what we are choosing to worship, we have to recognize that if we're going to see our heart and our attitude change. And listen, friends, it is so easy to build an altar to ourselves because the world is going to celebrate you when you do that. Be successful. Have fame. Have wealth. Have position. Build something great. And when you do, no one's going to tell you it's a bad idea. (laughs) And so this is so easy to do, and that's why we have to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what are the areas inside of me where I'm not seeking your kingdom, but I'm seeking my own kingdom. Remember in Matthew where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God? Well, if you seek first your kingdom, all of these things will be added to you. Wealth, fame, power man's approval, all the things that feel so good 
to our human nature. All those things feel so right. And if you seek your kingdom, you will get them. Years ago, as I was in this journey of healing and, and the layers of pain and, and all the things being dealt with in my life, the, the, the Lord was being so good to, to walk me through it. He said something to me one time, and it stuck, like it is seared in my heart. Have you ever had that where the Lord said something or there's just something put in your heart and you're like, I cannot forget it? Just whatever might be a phrase, maybe it's a verse. For me, it was this phrase. He said, I'm not building an empire, I'm building a village. And as he, the, when he first said it, I thought, what does that mean? What, is, what do you mean you're not building an empire? And as I began to kind of, it led me to kind of do a little bit of study on village life. And as I studied, I realized why he said that. Because if you think about a village, everyone in a village has to work together to survive. They have to share because villages are centered around being a community together. And so village life is, I'm going to bring you a loaf of bread. You're going to bring me a loaf of bread. When your child's sick, I'm going to help if I can. When you need your barn built, we're going to all come and help you build your barn. Empires are all about the person at the top. Empire, everyone works for the man or woman at the top. And see, when Jesus laid out this upside-down kingdom, it wasn't an empire he described. It wasn't actually an empire. It was a village. Love each other. Care each other's burdens. As you do that, you glorify my Father. What? That's how you want to rule and reign? Through us humbling ourselves and taking care of each other? And he says, yeah, that's how my kingdom is built. God's not building an empire, friends. He's building a village. I want to be a villager. How about you? <laughs> Jesus has taught me over the years that because I am loved completely already, first, he loved me first, because that's true, I don't have to be afraid. And so I don't have to work hard to build something that will earn anyone's praise and approval. The Bible teacher, he's a very, very, very smart man. He's British. I think they're all smart, but anyway. <laughs> they sound smart. <laughs> he, uh, his name is N.T. Wright, and he says, we don't build the kingdom, we seek it. And he, Jesus built his own kingdom. And I thought that that was so beautiful because, because I think the temptation, especially for me with my own story is, okay, I'm not gonna build my kingdom, I'm gonna build your kingdom. And he goes, mm, just seek my kingdom. He's like, I'm the one building it. You seek me, you seek, what did he say? Seek my righteousness, seek the ways of my kingdom. I will build it. Man, that's hard. Because I don't get to get any, any like, credit for that, <laughs> right? I don't get to go, look what I did. But that's actually the beautiful thing. That's why it's for everybody. That's why your status doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your education. doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. All of us 
are invited to seek his kingdom. So the question I want to pose to you today is what are you building? Are you building an empire? Or are you a villager? We, none of us in this room is as wealthy as King Solomon, so none of us is building in the same way that he did. But what we need to understand is that even if we have nothing to our name, we can still be building our own kingdom because it's here and here. It starts right here. And it will produce action. It will come out in some form of fruit, whether that fruit is good or bad, but it starts right here in our mind and in our heart and what we believe. I was building a kingdom in church and everyone loved it. It was great. People were coming and it was, I was part of that experience and look at these people, Jesus, that are coming in and I'm telling them the truth and it's amazing. But I was doing it out of fear. I couldn't rest in that place. I had to keep going. Maybe some of you are living in that because you don't understand that you don't have to build your own kingdom. And so you're just like, hustle, hustle, go, do, be busy, get it done because you got to build something great. Maybe that's you. Maybe you don't say no to anything ever. There's so much power in the word no. And we all need to learn to use the word no. So what I'm asking you is, how are you thinking today? Are you thinking like a ruler or a villager. See, we already have a ruler. We have a king. We don't need another one. The Bible proves we're not good at it. <laughs> we have the best one. We have the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the name that is above every name. There's nothing we can build, friends, that is greater than what he is building. And nothing that will last. Friends, if there's anything that I you could walk away with today, it is knowing that everything here and now is temporary. But if I step into seek first his kingdom, suddenly I step into something that lasts forever. Something that will be there when I'm not. Something that will be an eternity. I want to build, I want to be a part of that. I want to seek that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I want to also, I, want to, I felt it was important to share this because I know that this would be something that I might sit and hear this message. And when I was in my place of brokenness, this is how it would have come out for me. Like, I would have just felt guilt and shame. Like, oh, I'm doing it wrong. And I, I want to just call that out because that's not from the Lord. The Holy Spirit doesn't come with guilt and shame to, make, to try to change us ever. So if you're sitting and you're listening, you're like, geez, I kind of don't think about others very much. I think a lot about myself, maybe what I shared, maybe, wow, I really, I seek man's approval above all. I can't say no, I'm afraid of rejection. All of that the only reason that the Holy Spirit nudges our heart is because He wants to bring healing, because He wants to change it. It's not hopeless. He doesn't reveal things so that we'll be like, well, if I could just be a better person. No, 
He conquered all of it so that he can invite you into seeking his kingdom. So don't, don't hear and take in the lie that you're, you're doing it wrong and shame on you. Because that's just not the Lord. That is not his way. His loving kindness draws us in. He's a kind, tender-hearted God. So what's one thing that you could do this week to shift from a mindset of self-focus into a mindset of others' focus? Maybe you need to address some trauma. Suzanne is amazing at sitting with people and listening to their story and helping them get to the root of things. Maybe make an appointment with the wellness center and say, you know, I realized that I've got some patterns in my life and they definitely come from stuff I've just ignored. I've just tried to shove it down, but I realized that it's actually impacting how I live my life. Maybe that's a step you need to take. Maybe you just need to sit for a minute here while we worship together and and think about it. Maybe you've been going so fast and so hard, you're like, I haven't even thought about it. I thought everything I was doing was a thumbs up, go me, God's happy. Maybe I need to sit for a minute and think about it and ask him, what is it in my life that is self-serving? Here's what I've learned in 15 years of healing and being with Jesus as he's um, brought healing to the wounds as he can be trusted. 100% Jesus can be trusted. You don't have to be afraid of what he's going to say. You don't have to be afraid of what he's going to see. He can be trusted. So um, I would love to invite prayer teams up. And I know we're going to um, go into a little bit of worship. And so what I want to invite you to do is sometimes the step you need to take is you need to you need to, to go to someone and say, I need prayer. <laughs> Because I want to make a, I want to, I want to mark this moment on my tapestry of life that I'm gonna, I'm making a decision today to turn from self-serving ways and turn back into the ways of Jesus. So maybe you need to come forward for prayer, and if that's not you, and you just want to, um, just sit in worship and listen and let the Lord speak. I can tell you this: He wants to talk to every person in the room. He's no respecter of persons. He will speak to every heart if you will open it and listen. So I'm going to let them lead us in um, worship. Maybe we could stand. That would be awesome if you don't mind. And so you can come for prayer. Come um, just worship. If you want to just come and find your own place to pray, anything's allowed. Because it's about your journey with Jesus and what he's saying to you. Thanks, guys.